0: you're about to enter seventh heaven if you like this pod then you can show your support by rating us five stars and hitting that little subscribe button to help us climb the pod rankings and spread the sevens gospel if you're looking for extra content you can go to our youtube page or our social channels twitter and instagram our handle at seventh heaven pod again like subscribe share and we hope you enjoy the episode
1: One night night in heaven, one night in heaven, one night
0: in heaven, one night in heaven. Welcome back. Once again, to your Celestial one-stop pod for all things Rugby 7s. You're back in 7th Heaven up in the clouds with me, Bernsey, Mitch and Chip. Last week, we brought you everything New Zealand. We had DJ Forbes in the clouds and what a pleasure it was. But this week, we're hopping across the Tasman over to their old Antipodean foes, Australia. It should be the Sydney 7s this week. So we have got the legend, Chucky Stanard, the former captain on the pod and... Burtz's Breakdown is back. Abby Burton's back to give us her scoop on the women's game. But first and foremost, we've got to start off with saying hi to the boys. And how are
2: you? Like that, Burnsy. Bert's Breakdown, lovely. Good use of alliteration. Someone listed it at school.
3: You've been getting creative, Burnsy, in your spare time. Good to see. Good to see. Um, Chippy, Chippy, talk me through that huge... We're going straight into, straight into a bit of code. Talk me through that huge win yesterday.
2: Yeah, um, obviously a bit of a, um, like an emotional one for the group after Guzzy leaving last week, and we spoke about because our character's been questioned in the media and all sorts. So yes, yeah, so we just kind of um, got together, and the lads absolutely flew for the first seventy minutes, and I'd really dragged them down for the last ten. Um, <laughs> no, it was um, they came out of the blocks flying. Louis Liner was class, uh, young winger. Um big boots to fill with his old man ahead of him as well, but he was outstanding. Um Danny, Care and Marcus, like running the show, they were class. Um yeah, just like as you said, as you said, Mitch uh, kind of just wanted it a bit more. Yeah, lads were lads were flying into it and it was like great to be a part of it. Small part I played at the end, game on. I call myself the Noaka kan- Kanu Do you remember Kanu who used to play for Arsenal? Come <laughs> yeah, on with ten, ten yeah. minutes ago. That's what I that's what I felt like.
0: I'm sick and tired of the media misreporting on Premiership Rugby because, as you said, all the chat's been like, oh, you know, it's an emotional bounce since guzzy has gone and Quinn's pull out the performance of the season. But it's because Rich the Carpentier was finally included in, on the bench. That's, that's how I saw it, Chip. And uh, here's a few stats for everybody as well. Ten minutes off the bench, two carries, two defenders beaten, only Zach Kibarigi. Andre the Giant, Hazen Joe Marchant and Louis Liner beat more
2: players in the game. That's not bad, is it? Unbelievable stats. Like a full game of sevens for me, 10, ten minutes. That's how long the games are, isn't it, Mitch? Something like that, mate. Just wanted to play a bit more. Um, but like, as when the team's going well like that, like I was happy to sit back and watch and support the lads going well. Uh, especially with no crowd there to be a bit louder um, yeah so I felt fine after the game Did um, they pulled the subs out to do extra fitness if you haven't played enough minutes um, and they didn't ask me to go out but you know showing sure willing so I went and did some extra fitness and I was with one of the props and he got on the line and he's like you're going to make me a little bad aren't you and I said yeah yeah, is that what you went out, just to cream all the rest of the lads in the fitness? Because you're, you're fitter than the rest of the forwards. Well, I and I've, I'm I weigh 30 or 40 kilos less than him. I, like, I'm 108, 107 <laughs> kilos now, and this prop I was running with has got to be close to 135. He goes, you make me look little bad on you, and I was like, yeah, sorry.
0: Uh, cheeky celebration last night, a few beer Ross to mark the victory chip
2: unfortunately i was sticking the professional route because i drove to the stoop didn't i the rookie era of driving to the stoop so um no i didn't have any on the way back um treated myself to five guys and two bottles of um what did i have San miguel's last night Uh, when i got home but um yeah just a a quiet one
0: all right guys you know what question's coming give me a gb update go on Tantalise mine, tantalise mine, tantalise mine
2: and the listeners taste buds with a bit of GB update. Come on. Can I just put it out as I've been answering everyone who's been asking me recently? Nothing official, dot, dot, dot. And then I put the eyes emoji. So that's that's my comment on it at the moment.
0: (laughs) Oh. (laughs)
1: Oh.
0: Well, I can give you... A little bit of an update, small bit of an update is about the tournament in Spain that has been brewing. That's going to take place towards the end of February, I think 20th, 21st, 27th, 28th, if I recall. 99% sure it's going ahead. Obviously, COVID and everything, few spanners in the works. They even think that they might be able to get some spectators to come in if it does go ahead which is pretty exciting but other wow. if if that's not the case then i think they will be broadcasting it but they have but they have some big guns confirmed already USA South Africa Argentina France and Kenya are going to be in the mix the whole schedule hasn't been released yet but some big teams finally playing some sevens an opportunity for us to watch them so that's exciting
3: that will be so strange, watching Sevens on TV again. I can't bloody wait. A bit jealous. I'm so jealous, Chip. It's ridiculous that we're not playing in it, but that's probably a conversation for another time.
0: We'll see you out on the pitch in no time, I'm sure. Right, we've got absolutely loads to be getting through on the show this week, and I think we better kick things off with uh, our new favourite Northerner on the pod, Abby Burton. It's time for Bert's Breakdown.
1: One night and one night and
2: one, night in one night in heaven, heaven, heaven. But to be honest, I'm just asking how how are you feeling? How's our like how's everything going? How are you feeling in the group? Like obviously you've been added to the WhatsApp group now. How are you feeling about it all?
4: Yeah, I'm. Um, I like I said to Flo my housemate earlier on, I was like, this is so cool, just being able to do like something else other than just I know that we're still talking about rugby, but like just to do something other than like literally go to Wasps and come back here and like
2: Familiar and like fr- friend friendly, not like um, hostile. Like you and Bernsey both going after me with try scoring rates on Instagram. You know, <laughs> I thought we, I thought this is like a friendly podcast, and we were all talking between friends. But if you two want to drag my name down into the dirt, you know that's fine. Backhanded compliments. <laughs>
4: I didn't drag your name down. I'm just trying to save my name, considering that I literally have one try to my name in about 53 tournaments. So I got to, I got to big myself up in some way. Like I can't. First, so if that means if you're drowning, if with you're me.
2: if you're drowning, don't you grab my leg? Strong no, enough to it, kick it out of that grab,
4: one. It means grab your leg. That's what that means. Bert
0: to be like Kate Winslet in Titanic, she'd be she'd be on the she'd be on the plank, Chippy. You'd be frozen in the water to the plank, and then she'd unstick you and just sink you to the
2: bottom of the sea. Yeah. So, selfless first. You look, it don't flip flip you off that anyway.
4: Save yourself. You know what I mean.
2: Benzy, <laughs> you would have been that guy
3: that snuck into the lifeboat, it pretended <laughs> you had someone's kid, and snuck into the lifeboat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Billy Zane. Yeah, a bit of Billy say. Uh, to be honest, about. Mitch, that,
2: can we just finish this analogy off real quick? Mitch, you'd be playing uh, violin or something on, on Titanic.
3: Though. I'm still playing away, just hoping that things will go be all right.
0: Right. So, let's onto a bit of rugby, because that is what we're here for, ultimately, gang. Um, Sydney Sevens should be this week, but obviously it's not. You were there last year, Abs. What's the vibe?
4: Oh, it's class. Like Australia, one of the f- best places to go on the series. Like people are great. Like the v- atmosphere in the stadium was like class as well. When it it changed from Sydney Olympic Park to into Parramatta this year. um, And like, I, I don't know, there's something just about like being in a, a big stadium. Like you don't really ever get to do that unless like in the AP 15s, you don't really ever go to a stadium. So when we were doing it in the sevens, like just being in a big stadium, being around like all the different fans, it's, it's, it's one of those atmospheres that you just thrive off. And it like, that's what it was last year. I wish we could be back there now. Oh, the days.
3: <laughs> the good old days. And also like, I know we spoke about it last week with New Zealand women, but the Aussie sevens women are legit well-known team popular, well-followed team out in Australia as well, aren't there? So that must have been a pretty cool crowd to have played in front of.
4: Yeah, so cool. They're following over there, like the the Aussie teams, like they're like famous, you know, like when we think that we're kind of, we we know, people know who we are, but actually people know who they are. Like they're on the front of like magazines, like caslicks on the front of like their sporting magazines out there. Ellia Green's in all of the yoga adverts as well that we, we see. Um but like their following is just insane. So whenever we like, when we've ever been in Australia before, there's just so many people there and it just, like they just follow them and they're top supporters of them as well. So it, just whenever you get to play against them, especially in Australia, like you you want to do well and you want to thrive off that atmosphere. So it, like they are class to play against when you're in Aussie.
3: You'll be in a yoga advert one day, Bert.
4: Huh? i be on a yogurt advert. <laughs> those yeah. Müller Light ones.
3: <laughs> would that be the Would that be the pinnacle, Berts
0: w- Müller Light? What if you could have one brand that sponsors you? What would it be? What would be the dream? Bavril.
4: Yogurt. Day. The yogurt advert. They do like Aero, don't they? Those Aero Moose, Moose yogurts. I'd want to be sponsored by. I want to be on the front of their, one of those. Like you know, how they put like it on the nose. Like I just want to be on the front of it like this.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's so random i think i'd like to be on a petty
2: falou. i'd be on the little petty falou pots oh. well what about you chip are we talking um are we talking just yogurts yeah i think so yeah okay i'm happy i would if i wanted to be sponsored by one yoghurt it'd be a rolo yoghurt you know the ones with the caramel underneath Out- yeah, wow. standing.
0: You- you do have to clarify what a Rolo yoghurt is, mate. You, you, you don't treat other listeners like idiots. What would you be,
3: Bernsie?
0: Uh A Cadbury's trifle, maybe. The chocolate ones. Is that, That's not a yoghurt. Is that yoghurt? I mean, Stretching it's as, the yoghurt. It's as much a yoghurt as the Rolo ch- yoghurt.
2: Rolo yoghurt, Cadbury's trifle. Anyway, g- like, can we spin it back to women's rugby? Spin it back,
0: spinning back to women's rugby. Just something about that Australian team. When they won the Sydney Sevens in 2018. They beat New Zealand 31-0 in the final. Now, New Zealand don't get beaten by a scoreline like that very frequently, but they did not concede one point in the whole of the tournament. Not one point conceded for the whole of the tournament when they won it. I I can't imagine that has ever happened, men's or women's.
4: Honestly, insane. Like, I think having a home advantage really helps, like... When they when they play at home, as I said before, like because they've got so many fans around them, that the, having that home advantage, like it can just absolutely change a team. Like we've seen it like a few years ago in the New Zealand Sevens when when Fiji were in the final, but all the Fijian supporters were there. Like it's just electric in there.
0: But talking about talking about that team, look, we know about Charlotte Casse, we know about Elia Green. What about some of the other Aussie girls?
4: Yeah, through like through the middle they've got uh, Vani Polite who's one of the fastest girls on the series like she plays she plays center mostly but honestly like her her chase backs she did one in Dubai literally I think she was like 20 meters behind one of the Canadian girls got back tackled pulled her into touch like and then also as well uh, Alicia Quirk she's um she's recently just she's come out saying that she's going to have a baby her ability to to scan pass like even even the balls that you you don't really see that much in the women's game like the the meat the meat on a pass like she passes like what you see in the men's game which is like things that something's developing along that in the female game like we're starting to see more of the skill set like aligned with the men but like she was doing it way way before like the teams have started to develop like her ability to just move the ball insane. And then they've got a few young girls coming through as well. Um jakaya she's coming through. And then also um I think it's Faith, Faith Nathan as well. Like they're two young girls on the series which are probably the same age as me. And they're like absolutely tearing it up as well. So like they've got good system like they've got a good system to bring through their young ones as well to the Aussies. Like they invest a lot into them and you can tell that when they go through the system because a lot of them have been in for like five or six years. Like they've been together since the last Olympics when they won.
2: I was trying not to laugh when uh, first you were saying about the balls you don't see in the women's game. I had to hold back a laugh because you were on a good flow. I
4: was on a flow. I was on a flow. But it's true though. Like it's starting to get there. But like, because the women's game is obviously a little bit behind the men. Like you just don't see it as much like the type of skill set, but then you, you can see it in some of the girls who've either played touch or they played like, or they've got like brothers and sisters, like brothers, um, that their skill set's just different. Like you can, you just see it on the pitch. Um, but it is getting there. And as you, as you watch, like, especially the Aussie girls, like you just see their the movement on the pitch, like it's like watching the men play.
0: You've got a couple of brothers, Bert.
4: Play at rugby league. They do, they do, they do. Joe and Ollie, they both. To be honest, with you, I think my dad wanted me to play rugby league, but at the, t- at the time when I when I started playing, I didn't think that like you could have like a career in rugby league. Um, but my t- yeah, Joe plays for Bradford and Ollie plays for Leeds. Um, but I think when I'm a bit older, I think I'd quite like to have a. Uh, a transfer of the trade I think I'd quite like to go and play a bit of a league in Australia to be honest with you like that's a that's a sh- a solid dream
2: <laughs> if you say it on the podcast it'll happen as well
4: yeah throwing it out into the universe
0: Chip did it all last season with his contract and look at him at Queens. Uh, looking at rugby back home, massive result in the Allianz Premier 15s this weekend. Sarries got beaten for the first time since October 2018. And not just beaten, but by one of the new teams, Exeter Chiefs. No one saw that coming, right?
4: Absolutely. Like hats off to Exeter. Like they were, they were insane. Like some people say that Sarri's played badly, but like the... Honestly, their, their forward pack was just dominant throughout the whole game. And you, you know what? When you're watching it, I kind of I watch it thinking, Sarri's going to pull this out of the bag in the last 10 minutes like they do every single game. But like, as it started to go, the clock started to go down and down and down and they, Lottie Clapp scored that last, um, one of the last tries for Sarri's. I was like, yeah, they're going to pull out of the bag. But as it was going down, I was like, oh my gosh, they are finally going to get beaten. Like, And... Oh, it's it's difficult to say because I, I like I've got a lot of love for some of the Saris girls, like fellow Sevens girls over there, but like I think that it, it just proves that they're beatable. Like they've been at the top of the Premiership for the past like three or four years, and someone needed to beat them. And I'm like I'm glad that it came through Exeter. If I'm honest with you, like it just it just showed like especially if you put money into something like how they've linked with the men's side. You put money in something, like you just reap the rewards further down the line. And, like, that's exactly what they've done. Hard work getting players in, getting players from different countries, like the Spanish um, girl from the Netherlands, loads of USA girls, some of the Canadians, get them in and just make a super team, really. And that's what they've done at Exeter. Like, hats off to Susie Appleby for that.
0: Last thing on our agenda before you scoot off, Bert, is really interesting article in the Telegraph yesterday written by Katie Rowan, who has done a number of articles on sevens in England. Shout out to Katie because she's, uh, she's, 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 she's supporting the sport and she's putting it in the limelight and giving her shout outs and keeping keeping it in the rugby public psyche. But she ran an interesting article about two of your England sevens teammates, Meg Jones and Celia Quanza, who not only play for England Sevens and for Was, but are also in a relationship with each other. Talk to us about that article.
4: Yeah, the article that Kate put out, like it just, it's one of those things where like in women's rugby, people are always stereotyped as being like lesbians or like switching from fence to fence, whatever you want to call it. But like, I feel like it's talked about a lot and rugby's like stereotypically that, but like no one actually sees the good side of it, I think people just brand women's rugby as "you're a lesbian." They don't want to get involved in it. But actually, like Megan C, they have literally just—I won't say that like transformed. Like, well, it, I would actually like transformed like the perception around it because both of them too, like, they've come through England Sevens together, decided we're gonna, we really like each other, we want to be together, and they've proved that you can be professional in. A workspace but still be in a relationship as well um and it's the same when they've come to wasps as well like i don't think people would actually know that if that they were in a relationship unless you really got to know them um because they're so professional like they don't ever mix rugby and well, i'll say this they don't ever mix rugby and their own personal life unless they're doing analysis about something and if there's something that meg don't agree and then she'll tell celia um, but like the I just think it's great for like exposure of the sport just to just to show that like it can be done, and same sex couples they can be open and honest with the rest of the world and still do what they love in rugby, and you know what hats off to them because I guarantee you there's so many so many people who are together within the league because it's so open, and as Meg said in the article, like people accept being gay within rugby, women's rugby a lot more because it's so open and people are so like vocal about it but i bet you be so many couples within the women's league who just don't want to speak about it because they don't want to be branded as the lesbian because people are just people just want to shy away from being branded as a lesbian but actually if you are then be proud of it and that's what c and meg have done by doing that article um so yeah proud of them
3: yeah, had, they're, they're such, um, I think it was easy to, like, because we know them, it's easy to see them um, talking publicly about it and imagine that that's just, that's an easy thing for them to do. And, and I haven't really spoken to them about it since it's been out, but there's definitely a huge amount of courage, actually, because it's not like, it's not a given that you can talk about that publicly. And And undoubtedly, there'll be people that will backlash against it, you know, when it's in a national newspaper like that. Um, and I think it's incredibly powerful. It really, it re- really got me thinking about the men's game as well. Cause as you say, uh, and, uh, as Meg said in the article, like women's rugby is probably one of the safest spaces to come out. Um, but it, that is probably the opposite in, in the men's game. Um, I, it's a I, really, I disagree, mate. You
0: I disagree. What do you think?
3: I disagree. I yeah. disagree. I'm just I, thinking of the I, numbers I, of openly gay men in rugby. Maybe not as bad as football, I don't know. Like
0: I d I don't think I don't think that the uh the hateful uh culture surrounds would surround it in rugby. I think like football's a completely different sport and the tribalism and the way that fans interact with the game. I think that it's coming from a bit of a nastier place. And I think that in rugby, obviously you've got like Nigel Owens, you've got Gareth Thomas and I, I mean, I, I personally, if I was playing with a guy and he said he was gay, I l- literally wouldn't care. Like, it just would wash over me, and it's like, right, fine, cool. I'm surprised that more there aren't
2: more open gay players. Completely agree with you, Burnsy. But at the same time, it's um, it's like an overly masculine sport, and it's not. There's there's no like there's no homophobia in in rugby, but. I think you're right. The numbers speak for themselves. When like you can, you can't even name five openly gay rugby players. Gareth Thomas waited till he's finished playing. I'm sure. Well, apparently, loads of the Welsh like lads knew about it, but still, like towards the end, uh, Sam Stanley obviously played sevens with us. He 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 came out uh, fully supported by the sevens group. Like when we, when was that, Mitch? 2015, 16. It was
3: a while ago. I think it was. He, he actually came out just after he would left the squad. I think, didn't he? Um... But yeah, I, I I'm not sure, Bernzy. To be honest, with you. I I think there's still a lot of kind of in the men's game uh, like lingering. Uh, not that I, I just don't know if it would be a comfortable space for people to come out, perhaps because because I think there's just uh, there, as Chippy said, there's quite um, there's still that like hangover of the kind of traditional masculinity, um, and to a degree some toxic masculinity in there as well like that still bubbles around i think and I, you know i'm not in clubs every day so i don't really know but that'd be my assessment
0: yeah i yeah i don't I do know i just from my experience of being well and interacting with clubs much lower down the leagues than you guys would have done that yeah there's pro, there's loose terminology that's thrown around uh but that is probably like archaic something that's that you've come up with as a youngster but i don't think there's any malice in it and i don't think that people would genuinely be objectionable to a player coming out as gay and i don't think they'd be victimized or treated negatively in the aftermath but that's that's just my opinion
4: yeah i think yep. like i think in the the impression that i get from like men's rugby is that like i agree with you i don't think that like gay men would be like like ostracized I think is ostracized even the right word well just like yeah yeah ostracized right. yeah, yeah. like ostracized for being gay but I think because of what rugby's come from within such like a masculine dominated sport that's why girls get called that you're a lesbian because you're going into a masculine dominated sport so I think there's like an undertone of the masculinity and that like it's it's just come through the system like as a stereotype and that now I think that people would, people when they do come out, it's such an open and safe space. But I think it's the initial talking about it that people don't want to do because they still think it's still like an undertone of this isn't the stereotype. I don't know, like that's... It's a, it's a difficult no, that's one. that's a good point. Yeah.
5: Yeah.
0: Um, right. It's <laughs> this, this <is> a rabbit <laughs> hole. I did. It's a rabbit hole that I didn't expect us to be going down, but it's, it's important to discuss these things and explore them. I think, that, I think that's all
2: we've got time for, Bert, sadly.
4: That's fine. That's fine with me.
2: Loved it, Bert. Yeah, quiet down on social media, were you?
1: Do you know
4: what, Chippy? If I'm going down, you're going down with me.
1: One night one in heaven, one, one, night, one, one night in heaven. One as in
2: heaven. ever to chat to Bert, I feel,
3: I feel uh, invigorated.
2: I feel educated yeah. as well. It's nice to have an expert on on the women's game rather than us three clowns trying to like botch together with limited knowledge, um, some content. So yeah, good to hear from Bert and good to hear um, some expertise. Obviously, it must be a northern thing being smart and good looking.
0: <laughs> well she was a hit with our listeners had a lot of good feedback and uh yeah a lot of listens and a lot of extra follow so hopefully tapping into a few new sevens minds out there and you enjoy the rest of the content it's a bit of a women's feel to the pod this week and i mentioned at the top of the show that it was all about australia with the sydney sevens that should have been this week so let's meet our main guest for today Uh, He's a man who really embodied the Australian jersey for over a decade in the World of Sevens. 47 World Series tournaments under his belt. The all-time top Australian point scorer. And he's 15th overall with 1,239 points in World Series history. 68 tries. He's even got a penalty under his belt. I'd love to know where that came from. He was the 2010 Australia Sevens Player of the Year, but now he's trying to mastermind the Aussie Women's Sevens team's defence of their Olympic gold in Tokyo. He's assistant coach now. Can't get away from the game. And boy, has he got a few stories. It's Chucky Stannard.
1: One
3: I remember I was talking to uh, Charlie Hayter earlier. And uh, who, who, interestingly, like your careers have sort of aligned insofar as you both went from playing and then into coaching roles with the ladies. And uh, he was saying that one time you absolutely gave out to him because I think it was in Vegas and he did that, like scored it and then did a roly poly. And it, was on, it ended up being on loads of highlights things. But Apparently, after he scored it, you gave out to him and said, like, what the hell are you doing, mate? You look like an idiot <laughs> and stuff like that. Is that true?
6: It is true. I think there's. Um... <laughs> There's one, <laughs> there's one, there's a good one with. Um, Garrett John just took over our our program actually, and we we're in Dubai, and Carlton Isles, gets a he got about two meters on the edge, and off he went, and he, it was more than that. And typical, I'm at the back, and no chance catching him. But he takes off, goes and scores the try, and I'm filthy. All I had to do was just try and keep him out, just keep him out from the post. Um, and he walked out, like we sort of walked towards him to give him a little mouthful. And, um, he went to sort of shake my hand. So I knocked the ball out of his hand and then gave him a little spray, but I got booed for that big time. And, um, Garrett pulled me into the room after that and I'm like, oh no, I'm in trouble. And he goes, I love your work. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's so but, good but I, I think he was happy because we ended up winning that game so he, I think if we lost it would have been a bit different boy. <laughs> but yeah I, mate, I hated, hated losing uh, whether it was to EJ in a running competition or anything like that the, don't worry, the boys copped a fair few sprays as well <laughs>
3: Surely you weren't losing to Jenko in running comps. The only thing he would have beaten you in was, um,
1: was hamstring hamstring, kills, yeah. yeah, hamstring
6: <laughs> test. He's got no chest as well, EJ. Little secret. <laughs> Not bench press. He's
1: terrible
6: on the bench press, but, mate, absolutely um, massive engine. He could run all day. He was
3: yeah, he he did have an engine. I remember that so do you do you ever have a run around with the girls in training like do you stand in as an extra body? is that part of the part of the gig
6: yeah, part of it um as much as they they try and get me um i've got uh, different colored boots for different days um yeah, I have to run around them, which which uh when they catch me and do all that i they don't let me they don't let up on it they tell me so um i've I've got these green pair of boots i I call it show and tell. So if they start getting lippy, I take the green boots out and try and give it to them. But um, yeah, I I don't get away with much with them now. I'll move a lot slower.
2: (laughs) Who who out of your girls would you like to run into least? Um,
6: There's a young girl, Soraya Pucky. Uh, She loves tackling, (laughs) which is really odd. I've never met anyone that just loves contact. Um, And Elliot Green. She seems to find the girls in the team, the newbies, and just, she'll just run at them and try and put them into the ground. Um, awesome. There was really a clip strong. actually
3: of her warming up. I think it was in, I don't know where it was, maybe, maybe in Dubai. And she was warming up, and you were doing your sort of contact warm up in the team. And whoever she was with just got absolutely destroyed. And I was just thinking that, like, it almost looked too much. I felt really sorry for whoever her partner was in the contact warm up because Elia was just absolutely like, she's obviously so powerful, and she did we wasn't holding back at all in this warm up. It was like a hundred percent. And this girl didn't look like she was. I can't remember who the other one, the other player was, but
2: she didn't look yeah, like. she was enjoying it. When very they much. Wrest- they were wrestling, weren't they? I think I yeah. saw that, and she was throw ragdolling around, threw her down, and I was like, I've got zero interest in doing that before a game. I was like, no, you're all right. While we're on the women's team, do you want to talk us through the uh, Commonwealth Games um, wally prank with the women? I've had some inside intel that that might be a good story if, if you want to elaborate.
6: How did you find out that? Tiana.
2: Hey, I, no? f- fingers in. No, I can't say anything. I, I'll never reveal my sources. But
6: Well, we were, what, the girls it was, we were all together sort of in the one joint and um, we got this little wally and I think it was Sean McMahon had it. And the girl stole it. Um, and Shawnee's Shawnee young back back then. And I sort of was, oh, Shawnee, we've got to have to. You can't let that crap happen, you know. Like, um, I said, why don't you try and get that, the one they have? Uh, I don't even know what they Is it. Call what it.
2: is it like? A little toy that they have to carry around?
6: Yeah, the youngest carries it around. It's just a little, a uh, uh, little kangaroo that they they carry around. Anyway, we we got this. We stole this thing off them and. Um, and I thought we have got to go full hog here, so we went and got some old salmon and tuna out of the out of the buffet, and the smoked stuff. And what I did was I ripped a hole in the, the groin of it because it wears these green rugby shorts and a jersey. So I jammed in a lot of um, salmon and tuna and <laughs> into this hole, and um, and then I patched it back up, and we gave it back to them. Anyway, for, for days I think they were washing it. They were putting it in ice baths and everything. So it just just the, the ring. Oh <laughs> uh, God! If we if they're going to play those games, you might as well go over the line. You know. Um, nice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I've got a lot of time for that,
3: Chucky. Did you? Was that the role you played when you were a player as well? You were the prankster in the in the group.
6: Yeah, mixed mixed. Yeah, you know, I, I quite liked it. Um, yeah, it, yeah, I it was. It sort of lighten the moods when things weren't going well as well and as you guys know when you're on tour it's sort of you're away from families and stuff like that you're sort of just in that little group and it's quite easy when you when it's going crap to get down and that so sort of it was a few we were lucky we had a few good good lads in our team that like mucking around and and getting the vibe up you know so
2: so obviously with the Aussie sevens, like kind of renowned for like filtering young lads through and whenever we played against you, you'd, you'd have like you, like Sammy Myers, Ed Jenkins, and then like a couple below that. With a, But then you would have like a majority of like young lads in the team. What's the kind of like ethos in Australia with sevens? And how is it used in like, well, compared to us? Because we've got a lot of old bones in our team.
6: I think it uh the young blokes sort of um saw it as an opportunity to move on to fifteens if they if they go well in sevens. But I think they um we we get a good group of twenties most years and and a lot of those guys when they ID them, um I think sevens is a good option to sort of get their name out there as well, if if they don't get picked up by a super super rugby club. So um it's a good opportunity. It's basically just a stepping stone for them to get noticed. and Like and, a good um, shot
2: window kind of thing.
6: Yeah, absolutely. So you, you see guys like um, Sean McMahon, Liam Gill, um, even Nick Fibbs, uh, Bernard Foley, they all sort of uh, didn't get picked up in super rugby clubs when they were younger and started in sevens. And then th- those guys that I mentioned, they sort of went on to be wallabies. Um which which is fantastic, you know, and it sort of give, gave a good name for the sevens as in a, a young kid, young boy coming through could play sevens and sort of progress into super rugby. So it wasn't sort of uh, play sevens and you lost the 15s. So I, I think the, the proof was in the pudding that it sort of produced some good good young kids. So, uh, yeah, Who do you reckon was good. the best
3: that you played with in that time out of those names?
6: Um they, they were all different. I, I loved playing with Bernie because we were sort of um, each other's sort of wingmen. They sort of played the a bit pitch. smarter back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I, I actually there, there was a guy, um Brackenkura Henry, he he played in the centers a bit. Um <laughs> he's he's been playing in Japan for a long time now. But he, he was very, very good and um underrated sort of player in sevens, but very smart sevens player, but very smart rugby player. Um, but he sort of moved into Japan and sort of stayed over there. But um, the guys like Shawnee, Shawnee McMartin was sort of like an enforcer. I, I sort of liked him. He sort of, he wasn't anything stylish about him. He sort of just hit hard. He was good on the restart, um, but he sort of contained a lot of the biggest people in the other team. So.
3: He was powerful. I remember when he came on the scene, he must have only been 17 or 18, I think, when he played bit of sevens. And he was powerful young guy, really strong yeah, uh, for he, his age. Man, he
6: was a really strong ball carrier as well. And, and his tracking wasn't too bad. He quite fast. like, um, So he sort of suited the game. Um, Fanger, um, Nick Fidbs, he, he was another one that was, um, geez, he was one of the fit- He's he's one of the fittest blokes I've ever met. He was unbelievable. He could, and playing 70, he could play every minute, every game. In the middle, just chased everyone down. like He, he fixed up a lot of crap for us just by covering tackles. And um, But yeah, those, those blokes were all young blokes coming out of school
5: playing club football. Because you were getting these young guys uh, quite regularly and there was a little bit of changeover. Did you have to change your tactics to suit the qualities of the players that you had?
6: Um, yeah, sort of, uh, we did, we did a bit, I think, uh, with, with that team, that was 2000, that was 2010. I think those guys were around. We sort of played a more ad lib sort of game back then. Um, I think towards the end, we were a bit more structured in, in sort of how we played. Um, we weren't as, I think back then, those younger guys back then were a lot more, had a lot more rung in house, which was. Not a, bad, not a bad or good thing. It was We could just play a bit more off the cuff, whereas towards the end, we sort of had a lot more structure in our game. We had guys like Tommy Cusack, who was really good at the set piece, like line-out, which you guys sort of really challenged. Um, we did a lot of work on the line-out because of you guys. Um, but, yeah, we, we had a lot more set piece. Uh, we went to line-out. We, we didn't quick tap as, as much. We sort of set up our taps and had a lot more structure. So yeah, we did change a little bit towards the kind of cattle we had, which, which you got to do, I think.
3: One of my favorite memories about Tom Cusack is when we were in having a few post-tournament drinks in Cape Town, I think it was. And it was great, great time. Everyone was absolutely flying. And uh, it was all fun and games. And for some reason, Tom just stood up on a table and started to chant about himself chant which can't really be, be repeated here, but it was Cusack's and it was a word that rhymes with banker. Yeah. And he just started shouting that at the top of his lungs in front of everyone in the club. It, it, and everyone yeah. just joined in saying it. As soon
2: as, as soon as you said Tom Cusack, I was like, yeah, why, 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 do, why do I think he's a rhymes with a banker?
3: <laughs> the, the 7's 15 thing is something that always comes up. It's like, you know, should you specialize? Should you do both? You, when you're playing... You played a huge amount of 15s um, alongside the seven stuff. Um, you might not know, you know, numbers, I don't know, but 31 super rugby appearances. Played a bit of shoot shield as well for huh? Eastwood. Yeah, Woody. Um, so, like, that's a lot of 15s t- pitch time um, to go alongside the seven stuff. Like, did you find that beneficial? Do you wish, you know, you had your time again and you could have specialised just in sevens or, or do you wish you'd done more 15s? Does, or did any of those play out for you?
6: No, I wouldn't change it. I, I really love uh, my 15s um, experiences there. Um, I, I I reckon sevens um, sort of isolates a lot of core skills that that are needed for 15s, and I reckon it it, it helps for for playing 15s. Um, spatial awareness, game awareness, vision, I reckon, is a massive thing for sevens. Like um, everyone sort of sees the fancy stuff, but um, I think it enhances all your catch, pass, your breakdown work, your track to tackle um, that really help in 15s. I think that's why a lot of guys go from sevens into 15s and succeed. I um, think that you've got to be big and powerful, which you, you sort of do in certain positions. But um, I, I I, I wouldn't change a thing. I, I quite liked having a go at both of them. I loved both of them. Um, I owe a lot to sevens. They gave me, that gave me a lot of enjoyment in rugby and a lot of mates. But, um, yeah, I, I believe that if if a young kid wanted to make it in 15s, give sevens a go because I, I just reckon it sort of, like it really enhances your core skill um, needed to play 15, uh, which I nice. sort of preach a lot.
2: Right, while we're on a little uh, trip down memory lane, I'm talking about super rugby and that. Um, what's one of your like high? Well, one of your lowlights. We'll start with one p- point in your career that you think that was like terrible. I wish I'd never done it, or one point where you're like, "Oh, rugby's crap," or whatever. And then finish it with one of your highlights, one of the best parts. Of it, looking back at your career, what like the best moment you've uh, experienced on or off the field?
6: I think there was a time where I got back from Japan. I think I came back to sevens, went for a year or so. A year. There was a time there where I wasn't really getting along with Snoz, um, um, which sort of button heads about a few things. Um, not playing much in the sevens. Um, I was. I was really close to leaving then. I think I had another year on my contract. I was.
3: You might have to clarify some of the nicknames for for the listeners uh, Michael here.
6: Michael O'Connor. Michael O'Connor, the old, the old head coach. Um, which which he was he was fantastic. We sort of just butted heads about a few things. Um, yeah, I just wasn't really enjoying rugby off the field, it wasn't going too well as as um like we we just moved to Sydney, things weren't going well off the field. Um yeah, I was really close to pulling up the pin then. Um and I remember hanging in there, my old man rang me and just said, just hang in there, you never know what'll happen. And I think Garrett John took over the program then. And I thought, oh, I could be out here because um, I, I didn't know who he was. Um, and I think my first session, I hadn't talked to him. My first session, we were we were doing a drill, and it was a competition. He he loved the competition drills, which I I did too, because you had to have a winner and a loser. And um, I think we come in at the end, and he said something, and I I said, yeah, if the refereeing was any better, we would have got like just a little real smart-ass comment, um, comment and he absolutely gave it to me in front of everyone and um, I was like yeah right I fair call just took it on the chin and I thought oh <laughs> I'm in deep shit here I think I might get punted. Um because yeah it wasn't it wasn't a good time and then I remember he pulling me aside and saying yeah I had to give it to you the old boys the young boys will sort of get in line now and he, he sort of did it to make an example but we got on really well and it sort of turned it around for me. Um I started enjoying um rugby again. Um I think a big thing that he did was he 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 drove competition within the, the squad and, and I sort of thrive on that sort of thing. I've got to be challenged. Even if I fail you gotta be challenged. Um so that that was probably the most down point of my career. Um, most enjoyable. There's a few. There was um 2010, when we won in London against... We won the Cup in London um, against South Africa. Uh, I think we were building some good momentum. And after that, I think we made the final again against Samoa, which is um, the following week in um, Scotland. But, like
2: a home tournament in London for you, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many Aussies. <laughs> oh, my.
6: That that was awesome because that was the first cup win I was involved in, and then um, that's a funny story actually. That was a, that was actually a really good night. After that, um, um, I really enjoyed those ones. But then we went on to I think that back then Scotland was the last one maybe.
2: Yeah, Edinburgh,
6: Edinburgh, yeah. And then um, we made the final, and I think I don't know who tomorrow playing, but they had two extra times um, after the game. And um, I remember they didn't even go back to the dressing room and they stayed out onto the, the side. And I thought, we got these blokes, they're buggered. Like, they're, they're proper stuff. We got them. And I remember the first kickoff, we kicked it off. Um, I think Henry Vanderglas caught it, ran the length and scored. I'm like, hey, we've got, we're have got, we going to fucking smoke it. And I think we lost by about 30. Um
2: <laughs> oh, God.
6: <laughs> <laughs> um, but but that, that that was a really good time. Um, good bunch of blokes that uh, we're all still pretty close. That that crew, there's a lot of boys that are, we we still stay in contact. Um, that that was probably one of the most enjoyable time.
3: That was when Samoa were at their best as well, wasn't it? They won it that year. Is that right? 2010,
6: they won it the series. Mate, they were unbelievable. They had Pesamigo on the wing. Gigi was a flyer back then.
3: He's one you usher into the corner, right? If you're sweeping, you just try and show him the corner.
6: hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> they, they percent. I, I didn't like it when they made those big breaks, not because you knew they were pretty much going to score, but they just made you look really slow and sluggish. And...
3: It's, it's a vulnerable place being at the back. I've said it on this podcast before. The sweeper, is a, it's a tough place. The number of bloody um, highlights reels you end up in for the wrong reasons, being a sweeper.
5: Enjoying it. Well, look, Chucky, the reason we got you on is because it's meant to be the Sydney Sevens this weekend, or it was this weekend last year. Um, I just wonder if you could share some memories about about the Sydney Sevens, some of the good times that you've had there and tournament memories. Uh, I think uh, you're, you're welcome to include the time you beat England in that as well.
4: Yeah,
6: um, I, just, I, I hope you guys go and rewatch that game because I don't know how to, what the hell happened there.
2: I think, it's on, I think it's on our schedule of stuff to re-watch because we're doing like watch-throughs going on. We're going to do some stuff for YouTube, like watch-throughs and watching games. And that was one on the list. And I was like, oh, still still stings.
3: They always still sting though, don't they? Those tight ones. I don't know how you feel about it, Chucky, but those tight games, you never. it's hard to let it go.
6: And and it seems that um, that's what was frustrating with you guys is we either just got you or you always got just got us. Um, It ruins your whole tournament because you win those games, you sort of go all the way or you you sort of go nearly all the way. But, mate, Sydney's got good memories. Sydney's got really good memories. We we are historically not too bad in Sydney. And um, I think one of the years we we won it um, against South Africa um, but yeah, really good memories with Sydney. The Good atmosphere. I think when it first started in Sydney, we had, like, the crowds were amazing. They were huge. It
2: was mm. class. Where, where, it was different ground, wasn't it? It was the cricket ground. It was so good. It was bouncing.
6: Yeah, the, there was more park beside the Sydney cricket ground. Um, but yeah, uh, but they've actually, it's just out the window here. They've demolished it. <laughs> We've got a view of it. Oh, really? They're building, they're building a new one
3: good memories of getting some abuse when we we're warming up down there from the, the oh. Aussie fans are always good good laugh to be fair because this is obviously the killer as you can like for the anyone if this goes out you can see obviously names on the back of the shirts in sevens as we all know so when you're warming up in your shirt obviously the crowd who probably otherwise don't know who we are they, they know they can call you by name so they're shouting like Mitchell Mitchell and then either hurling some abuse or like, just distracting you and like, you just want to have a look and see what's going on. And then I th- invariably you get mugged off.
2: I think I had my best bit of chat there from from a fan. They were like, De Carpenter, De Carpenter, your dad's a plumber. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chucky, you had Quade Cooper in the mix around uh, about Olympic time in 2016. You had a few other boys come over from the 15s. How did that go? How did they slot in, and and what was the impact? Yeah, they slotted
6: in well, mate. Um, we had Henry Spade as well. Um, I think Nick Cummins, Nick Cummins came in for a bit. Um, yeah, they, they mate, they slotted they slotted in really really well. Uh, Quade, Quade played a lot. I think uh, Henry came away as our 14th for that that Olympic year. Um, I don't think Quade. Came, I think he left, left again, but um, which was was probably good for me because he probably would have taken my spot um, being a ball. <laughs>
5: <laughs> what was the honey badger like? I mean, the guy's a legend.
6: Yeah, he was. Um, so I, before he came famous, I lived with him. Um, that was my claim of fame. He's in, he's in. So he's actually, he's actually out of his whole family. He is um his father and his older brother Nathan are quite they're a lot wittier and funnier than, than Nick. Um but yeah, I've got a I've got a lot of stories about, about Camo Um back when he was when he was a youngster. Um he he's uh he's good to have around, mate. Um he's just a good vibe to have around. He doesn't he, he doesn't seem to get upset that much. When he does, he sort of he's blunt with you. but um and he'll tell you, but he's, he's got a really good attitude. He's great for a team environment, mate. Um, and, he, and he's just down to earth. What you see is what you get. It's not fake, it's not put on, he's he's just like that.
3: He looks like a genuine grafter as well. Uh, he always sort of played 15s that way, like you know, 100% worked himself to the bone. And I remember him sort of applying that same attitude or what looked like that attitude in probably one of his first sevens games on that series when he came back. And yeah. I, honestly, it's one of the worst examples of someone blowing a gasket I've ever seen. And we've all been there. Like, when you just blow a gasket and you're like, you just can't run anymore and you can't move. And he, he must have done it after, like, maybe two or three minutes of being on the field. And everyone kind of felt quite sorry for him, but it was pretty funny to watch.
6: That was Hong Kong, mate. And he made a break. And, I, I, <laughs> and someone caught him just before the line. And I think he might have even knocked it on. But, um, you know... <laughs> Mate, he's, yeah, he's a, he's an absolute, he's an absolute champion. I remember because um, we debuted for the Western Force the, the same game, um, and, and it was quite funny back then. That was South Africa, and we we're playing with Sharks, and um, he was running on, and he and he's such a cruisy guy, mate, like a real cruisy guy. Um, out on the field, he's the, he's a he's a player that will just if you're too complicated, he doesn't like he won't. Respond to that. He'll basically be, Chuck. Just, just give it to me, and I'll truck it up. Just give it to me. I'm gonna be running off your right. Just give it to me, and I'll truck it up. Like there's no frills with him. But uh, we we're in. We had a, a walk through of the day of the game against the Sharks, and and um, gets is going through our backline plays, and we had like a phase play called Island, and I'll never forget this. And he's getting quite serious, and um, Camo sort of. You know, looking at the clouds and that sort of thing and just chilled out, relaxing. And he goes, Come on. What's island? And he sort of paused and he goes, Oh, piece of land with a shitload of water around it. And I just <laughs> this is the day. This is the day of the game. Like you've got like Cameron Shepherd, Ryan Cross, you've got all these blokes that we sort of like even at training, we're we're like training with them still going, Ooh, like sort of in awe of them. And he just straight out says it, and I've, I've never seen a spray like it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we get on the bus, and Kamo's not even phased by it, mate. And we get on this bus, and in South Africa, you get a police escort to the game, and it's traffic everywhere. And me and him, we're on the bus. We don't have, like, the, the Bose headgears that everyone's wearing and the, the iPods. We didn't have any of that stuff. So we're sitting there talking, looking at all this stuff out the windows. In can't believe it our first game we're amped and I remember um, one of the coaches getting up and just spraying us for being loud on the bus <laughs> like <laughs> talking too much but anyway we got to the we got to the game and and gets us into him but uh, Kamo got man of the match that game we
2: <laughs> Gosh.
6: No, after all that he got man of the match he's, he's one of the, the most chilled out sort of down to earth guys mate and that, there's no thrill so
5: yeah a lot of good stories
3: Oh, I could definitely sit here all night and listen to some more of those stories. That's class.
5: Chucky, what sort of nick do you think the Aussie men's boys are in at the moment? They obviously got a fourth place last year, only a couple of points behind Fiji, got super close in Vancouver on the on the last series tournament. So do you reckon they're sort of beginning to bubble?
6: Yeah, for them, mate, I reckon they were starting to to build some, some good momentum. Um with, with those last two tournaments um, at the moment, they're playing some into the house trials. So they, they played against New South Wales state team the other day and went really well. So, and and uh, sort of put together Fijian team within um, Sydney, um, which they went really well. Physic- physically, they're, they're looking in real good nick. They've got some of their their times up downstairs on the white bike and the rower and all that sort of thing, um, which it sort of makes makes you not want to work out, but just watching him train, I, still, I saw we got a thing called huddle. I don't know, you guys will have it too probably. I'm still on their huddle, so I can see it, watch them train. Watch the sessions that sort of and stuff. that. Yeah, yeah so I, I sort of not that I I, while she probably knew I was still on there, probably kicked me off. But I sort of sneak on there and watch them watch them train a bit, and they're, they're, they're progressing really well. Um,
2: Send us a link for that then, Chucky. <laughs> send send us the link over we'll have a, we'll have a little look
3: <laughs> do you have to keep your distance in term, when it's when the banter's flying around and you want to get in and be one of the boys again do you have to remember that you're a coach now and kind of step away and
6: yeah um yeah, that that actually that's been one of the most challenging challenging things um with it um like the like general like um I don't go in the locker room or any of that sort of stuff now, but just through the halls, some of them, like little Maurice Longbottom sort of stru- throws a bit of chat out sometimes. So I quickly remind him um, pretty, they're not really quick-witted these young blokes, mate. They, they, sort of, they sort of have one thing. They don't have a backup plan, never have a plan B. But um, we sort of, through the hallways, sort of, I'll give it back to them. But um, in saying that, I've sort of tried to, on purpose, Stay away from all that stuff, even even the social media stuff. A bit easier with sort of the guys that have moved on now. I can sort of go back to socialising with them. But I've sort of really kept my distance even, even off the field with, with a lot of those.
5: Can I ask something, Chucky? Uh, we spoke about this guy last year. I don't know if you remember, boys. But there's a story about a 16-year-old playing for South Sydney Rabbitohs called Joseph Sawali, who was being courted by the ARU and the chat was that he was going to come and play rugby union for like 2 million bucks. And the big plan was to get him into the Aussie sevens team in time for the Olympics. Was there any truth in that?
6: I think that, I think there was, um, I, 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 I feel sorry for the poor young kid. He, he's, he's, I think he's still at school. He, so he goes to Kings, um, unbelievable athlete like unbelievable mate it's I, it was if he was 15 I, it was two years ago i was start, just started coaching and the boys were doing some restarts so he turned up and he's in like a, his school gear and he's quite he's quite a tall sort of guy anyway they, they were doing their restarts with the pods and he was challenging them getting up and just getting them back and I'm like, who is this kid? Like he was almost like a palmer Fowl. Um uh like a dead ring of palmer Fowl, like he's sort of body type, just a bit smaller because he hasn't grown into his body yet. Um and Scotty Bowen, the, the head of seven, sort of he's 15 years old, he goes to King. <laughs> wow. Um, not knowing who he was, but yeah, he was he was definitely getting um attention, like he was in the paper every day, mate, from either the Roosters looking at him, the South Sydney looking at him, the ARU. I think he he wanted to have a go at the the Olympics and that was sort of something I guess he was talking to with the ARU about, um, doing that sort of thing. I don't know everything that was behind the scenes, but I I sort of feel sorry for a young kid like that that sort of got put in the spotlight, sort of set up to fail in a way, like... He's, he doesn't get to play school football now, like he's sort of signing a deal with whoever he signed with, but doesn't play school football with his mates. He sort of goes off and just trains and, and doesn't experience all those good times you play with your mates. And um, I, I reckon that's an important time of when you're a young fella who's playing a lot of football for club and,
2: and school. 100%, especially um, at that age, you can just carry on going, can't you? Yeah. Play Wednesday, um, Saturday, I, Sunday.
6: Yeah, and and it's, it's changed since since we were playing. Oh, I remember you at school you'd be playing club footy and school footy, so you'd be playing a couple of games on the weekend and training four days after a week. And um, like you're always hanging out with your mates. I sort of you sort of see these young kids now that that, that are like he, he's a, he's going to be a superstar, but um, and and I hope he is, but you sort of wish that they sort of let him go and go and play footy, go and experience some um, tough times. He's a kid that probably his first sort of interaction is going to be playing an adult. And regardless if he's he's talented and super talented, playing an adult sort of different sort of feel, you know, like um, they're not going to... Yeah, you you never get those
3: years back, do you?
6: No, and they're they're good memories to sort of have. But um, I, I... I, I, from all reports, he's a really good kid, level-headed kid, so um, I don't know him personally. I've seen him a couple of times training down here, um, and, and, mate, he's going to be something special.
3: Talking of, talking of the Olympics, Burns has touched on it there. You're now coaching a team who's obviously got a, a pretty good record at the Olympics for sevens. How does that weigh? Does that weigh heavy on your shoulders as a coach? and maybe on the players as well, you know, because probably they're going to be going into this summer as favorites as well, your team. So what's that like coming, coming from a couple of guys who've probably not been favorites before chip, have we? Can't remember a time when we we're favorites to win anything, but um, yeah, that must biggest, be an interesting experience in this.
6: I'll tell you, I'll tell you. <laughs> it's a, um it's a really good question and it's a question I sort of, I, I, I'm I'm quite excited to see sort of how some of the girls react because, um, like you said, I've we've I've never been in a team where it's a dead set favourite or I I never sort of played with sort of pressure like that. I didn't see it like big pressure moments like that. I sort of like that sort of thing, and if I fail, I, I fail. Like it, I don't I don't not care about failing, but um, it's it's such a good um, interesting thing to see because it's not only the pressure of can you retain a gold medal, it's it's all the it's all the media attention and all that sort of stuff that you might get pulled from. Like some of these girls are going to get pulled from all these different directions, right? Um, um, on top of preparing for what their actual role is, and that's to play footy. So off field, I don't know <laughs> how to sort of. That's a, that's a bit that where they're going to sort of probably have to learn and, and um, deal with them themselves, but I, I wouldn't know.
3: <laughs> you can't exactly tell them to follow your example with the off-field stuff, can you, mate? Oh,
6: that's right. And, 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 it's a, and these times are totally different, you know. Like um, I remember Michael Icona coming up to me in 2009 saying, do you want to um, come away with some sevens? I said, oh, mate. I don't know. I don't know. Um, And he goes, let's go to Europe, have a few beers, um, see a bit of Europe and, and play some footy and play some footy was sort of at the end of his sentence. (laughs) And, 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 you know, like you'd you'd sort of um, go out for dinner and have a few beers midweek and go and have a trial game. And, and then you'd just go out and go hard, you know, and, and after the tournament, you'd, you'd go and let your hair down. Um, I sort of lost my hair, but um, after that, but you did sort of enjoy your time. And and I saw it when I first started, sort of seeing it as you would network. I don't know where I'm going to get this experience ever in my life, um, where you can sort of go overseas, play, play hard, but also go and have a drink with people that you sort of going to go see for two weeks and and enjoy some different cultures and that um, and that that could end next year that could end next tournament you know what i mean um and as the years went on that sort of changed and i think um the more it got professionalized and you sort of started getting paid and and there's sort of um pressure on results and that sort of thing that's when it sort of changed a bit more you probably had to sneak out sneak out
2: i've had had a couple of them especially especially when Ben Ryan was our coach, it was like, there was a, I think it was a 10 o'clock curfew at Wellington. And I was like, I'll just go out for a, a sniff. Just go out for a sniff. I got back at like quarter to 12 with Alex Gray. And he was like, mate, we need to go up the fire escape, get the lift to level 14. We'll go to the fire escape. And in the far end of the corridor, this old hotel, and he, you walking down, he's trying to get past his room. You can see his little door little jammed open waiting if anyone's going past. I was like, "Oh god, Sketchy times. <laughs>
5: We can't let you go without uh, without asking about some of the players that you're in charge of now, because you've got a couple of genuine superstars of the women's game: uh, Charlotte Catholic, Elia Green. You've got a load of other talented girls there. What's it like working with them?
6: It's it's really good. Um, Charlotte Charlotte's one, I guess everyone sort of sort of knows and sees on the field and. Um, I guess you've got to see it, see it in person on um how talented she is. She's, she's she she works hard um at at what she does to get where she is. But um absolutely we talk about freaks of nature in sevens and the men's, but she she's definitely one in um the women's that her, her ability to change direction, a change of speed, her her capacity to to just play big minutes in and out um, and make split decisions um, when things aren't sort of going her way um, is just you gotta sort of see it to to realize in person um, how gifted she is uh, Elliot green's another one she she does these um, she loves she loves doing these uh trap bar deadlift things so I think that's all she does in the gym she she doesn't really she do, she works really hard but she loads this thing up and and she's always coming up to me and going, come on, Chuck. Well, she wants to do weight competition with me, right? If it's a chin up or bench press and that. She's really strong, but she does this trap bar and I can't lift the thing off the ground, mate. Like <laughs> I swear, unbelievable strength. But there's some good young young girls coming through that haven't had a chance to um, get big minutes on this on the circuit. That I think in the next few years. Um, depending on how things look. Um, I've got to be absolute freaks. Oh, there's a there's a young girl who hasn't played a tournament yet. Her name's BB. She's 82 kilos and fast, proper fast. So she's...
2: Like Mitch. Oh, mate, absolutely. Except yeah. not proper fast,
3: <laughs> um, just 82 kilos.
6: But just like a, a girl that size um, that can move like that is going to be... Deadly in seven. So it's like having a Porsche at woodman, um, I, it, but in the Australian team, which is sort of you don't really get the Australians built like that. We're not genetically like that.
3: If you're going to give us one name, then do you think that that uh, the lady you've already mentioned is going to be a bit of a bolter for the uh, Aussie Olympic team this year? I, I,
6: would, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put her as in a bolter only because she's. It's unfair on her. Um, she just started, and she's seventeen. Um, there's a, a bolter. one to look for would be a Faith Nathan a Faith Nathan um, she played in South Africa um, a little ball player, she can play multiple positions, centre, wing, halves um, electric just a good change of direction fast off the mark nice Hey
5: Chucky, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me. Mate, amazing.
2: Yeah, cheers, Chucky. One night
1: in heaven, one night, one night in heaven. I've got a lot
0: of time for the manner in which that bloke approaches the game of sevens. Very much a man after my own heart.
3: <laughs> He's pretty old school, isn't he?
0: Real good. But what about him as a player?
2: He um, he was one of like the... Like, the mouthiest guys on the pitch, like, would always get into you. Like, you know when he says, "Oh, I can't remember what he said, sprayed. Like, that was his verb for it. It It's like, sprayed someone. Like, he'd he'd go at you, but he'd go at everyone. Every time I had Gabe, I'd always have a bit of niggle with him. And I loved it as well. Because, like, you come off and I'm like... Ah, he's a dick. And then I'm like, class. That's what I want people to think about me when I come off the pitch. And it like the niggle he brought and the experience and like like how like wily he was. Like, but then if you made a break, you'd like be confident you go around him. Even even I'd be confident. Like towards the latter end of his career, his, um his speed kind of dried up a bit. So I was, you're happy when you saw him at sweeper. No, maybe I went around him one out of thirty-seven. I don't remember. He. <laughs> <laughs> it- Yeah,
3: that's the thing. He was he was one of the best players though, being chopsy on the field, and then as soon as the whistle was gone, was done, he was like sound just the soundest bloke, and you'd have a really good chat with him to the point where there was a couple of games early on when I was just getting to know him. We'd come up and he'd go, "That was a really good game, wasn't it?" Like we always have a really good ding dong us two, don't we? And I and he'd been like chopsy during the game and a bit of a bit of a knob. And I was, you know, my cynical mind was thinking, is he mugging me off it? Is he trying to start? Is he trying to go? Because if he is, I'll get chippy and he can fight him for me. (laughs) But um, it was like really confusing, but he just obviously has that perspective of like, that's the way he approaches the game. But then when the whistle's done, he's like, you know, normal, we're mates again. It's a sound bloke. Um, He was very good at that. Um, he He was pretty wily though. Like he slowed, what he sort of lost in speed Obviously his years of experience counted pretty well for him.
0: But he was one of those guys as well that was just synonymous with the Aussie journey, a journey with the Aussie jersey for like a decade.
2: Yeah. He as I was asked, like, you know, when we spoke about the young lads coming through, he was always like the kind of talisman and like I'd say like the bonding agent for that team. Like as like a senior player and their captain, like and he was in and out and experience on Super Rugby as well. must have been great for those young lads coming through to like look up to him and see how like 47 World Series tournaments, did you say on his stat sheet, Bernsey? 47, and, yeah. And he's there. Yeah. So like 47 tournaments, but like 30-odd games in Super Rugby. Someone having someone so experienced in the squad for the young lads to look up to, only good.
3: I think he must have always had a real enjoyment for the game and been pretty relaxed about it because to be, to be going from like you know, when he was younger in the Western Force with all those big names and that those sort of, uh, and then going into sevens and doing well, winning tournaments. And then, you know, being like the only old older guy in a squad of real youngsters, sort of 19, 20-year-olds. You know, you, you have to have a real passion for what you're doing and like be pretty relaxed about the whole thing to accommodate those sort of, the scale of those different experiences, I think. Um, it's pretty impressive that he, that he managed to do that and still, still enjoyed it because... Um, You know, it's tough when you're you're like the older guy and you're playing with a load of youngsters. It's, you know, you're having to teach a lot of lessons that you feel are pretty elementary. And, you know, I guess there's a different spin on it, but it's not always easy. So fair play to him. And um, it's interesting, like when uh, we were just chatting before we went on air, there was the suggestion that there are bits of it he still misses. And he still, you know, obviously when he said he still watches the guys train. And um, you probably, I I wonder how many years it takes to pass... Before you lose that, but it must be even harder when you're in the coaching game. So you're so close to it, but you're not out there on the field playing.
2: you are 43 now, 40, 42. How like how are you? Are you over missing playing yet or not? <laughs> am I over, am I over missing player? My unesteemed,
0: uncelebrated career. Um, yeah, of course, mate. I like even from a teaching point of view, when I got the under nines or who, or whoever. You're, you want to get in the mix. You want to put a step on a nine-year-old and just show everybody you, still got, you you still got <laughs> it. Yeah, exactly. Well, you got you got to sink to your level the yeah. older you get. But I don't think anyone ever misses um, playing. I mean, I was at London Irish yesterday and watching the coaches like Brad Davis kicking the ball around with the boys in the warm-up before the game. You will have experienced it at Quinn's chip that the coaches want to get their hands on the ball as much as any of the players. like... They want every kick to be perfect, every pass to be on the money. Like, You never lose the love, do you?
3: I've just got an image, Bernsey, of you running around with your under nine Bs and just colliding into them, like that clip of uh, Boris Johnson running into that little Japanese lad for <laughs> the World Cup. Is that what it was like for you? So, exa- exa- exactly
0: how it is. When the parents aren't around... <laughs> <laughs>
3: it was was really it was interesting how relaxed Chucky sounded about the the Olympic stuff we'll have to ask him again in a few months but I think that's going to be a real challenge for those girls who were involved well particularly for the ones involved last time but even the ones who are new to it because it's a tough it's tough going in as defending champions in Olympic games I think because there's a lot of pressure and the goal is still was harder probably than it was before and yet all you're trying to do is retain it type thing. You know what I mean? It's like...
0: At the, at the same time, they're not favourites, are they? New Zealand are favourites after what they did last year on the series. So I think that that, that relieves
3: a bit of pressure. But... I think if you're in the game, you know that at the moment New Zealand, or certainly off last season's form, New Zealand are the best team. But it doesn't matter because the media hype going into an in Olympics will all be clips of them winning the gold medal for five years ago um, and that plays into the psyche if, if you're not prepared for it I think
0: that's your Aussie 7 special in the bag it's been an absolute pleasure to have Bert and Chucky on the pod and of course you gentlemen but until next time from all of us up in the clouds up in 7th heaven it is adios booby bye you let him-